Welcome to Hamsterdam, everybody. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, see what day is it today? Uh, February 28th. And I've actually got ATQ's own Sean Larson back on the pod. I'm back. It is. You guys would not believe the the scheduling that goes into uh, that goes into one of these things. So I know for a while Sean was uh, in the magical world of retail, which was pretty chaotic for a few months on end. Yep, nonstop. Yeah, and then now I've got some of my own like kind of uh, stuff within the profession that can take up a lot of time. But I'm glad we finally got this uh, the band back together. Yeah, we're the gang's all here. So all two of us. Yeah. Um. So we haven't had your take on the pod yet. Like TLDR, how do you feel about the new coaches on the football team? Um. Here's here's my. My kind of, well, I don't, I don't even know if it's really a hot take anymore, but it, I feel like it was a hot take right before Helfrich left or right as Willie Taggart was coming in. But I'm, I'm very ecstatic that they just cleaned house. Um, I think that was, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you know, Willie Taggart needs to keep all these guys that have been on the staff for a long time and have given decades of their life to Oregon football and this and that. And it's like, no, new new coach comes in outside from outside the program. We are cleaning house. Pack your bags. It is time for a culture change. And if, you know, if all those reports are really true that you know guys were cutting corners in the weight room and people just really didn't care. That's, you know, that's a, a culture aspect that you got to get rid of just, you got to get rid of every apple. And, um, it, it's been a, a rocky start to the coaching staff for sure. Um, but I am pretty excited about it. Um, I think my favorite hire was Jim Levitt swiping him away from Colorado um, he looks like a gremlin on Twitter. Yeah. Like there, there's but, the one image of him like playing laser tag with people and he's like, only three refills of Pepsi. And it's like, what? he looks like a goblin who just jumped out and is like going to take just, a ring from you. He's a goblin that is fueled by Pepsi. Yeah. He has to be sponsored. Oh, if he's not by, if he's not sponsored by, already, he's going to be sponsored by football season. That's for sure. Oh my God. Well, um, Eugene is Pepsi Town USA. It is. Um, so he'll be right at home. I can't tell you how many cups of Pepsi I have consumed while covering Oregon sporting events. It's usually Pepsi or Mountain Dew, one of the two. Both Pepsi products. Uh, both Pepsi products. Yeah, you have options. Um, but the other guy I'm really excited about is uh, Mario Cristobal. Uh, I have heard it through the grapevine the grapevine being the internet, that he is a outstanding recruiter, which is exactly what this program needs. Um, so those two guys I'm very excited about. Um, you know, there's a new kind of sense of motivation within the program, I think. Um, obviously, everyone's wanting to get off on the right foot. Um, so I'm very excited that it, it's, you know, it's going to feel like, you know, September's going to roll around this year. And it's be like, all right, this is a whole new season, guys. 
Yeah. Um, I think a lot of like that report that uh, I think it was Andrew Grief who was blackballed by Tiger, but apparently they made up, which is good because Grief has been like. I hope that's how you say his last name. Uh, apparently, if you go onto his Twitter bio, it says pronounce it Greif and we'll get along just fine. Okay. So. Right. Um, yeah, he wrote that article and it was kind of like, it was one of those things where to me, it's kind of a top down leadership structure. Like everyone, like no matter how long they've been with the program, um, kind of defers to the standard that's set by the head coach. Um, and yeah, some of that stuff was just like, wow, what, what is happening? So. I mean, I'm also of the, like, people can be upset, rightfully so, about, like, Helfrich, um, but I don't think anyone can say that they knew exactly how deep the rabbit hole kind of went on it. Um, I don't know. And I'm also just uncomfortable, too, with how much revisionist history that's been going on. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, like yeah, this this was, like, a really bad year relative to everywhere else, and it was kind of, like kind of just deteriorated institutionally. Um, but, but like you, you read what was happening recently and you get the impression that that's not what was happening before Helfridge got there. Um, I've read this in the comments a bunch of times, you know, I really just don't believe that anybody who makes it to a national championship game, no bad coach can make it to a national championship game. Right. It doesn't matter, like, even if you inherit the best players and if you inherit Marcus Mariota, you, it is still extremely hard to coach a team into a national championship game. Um, and so, yeah, it, the whole notion of Helfrich being a, a bad coach because, oh, his only good years were when he got, you know, he got past the Golden Boy down from Chip Kelly. I think he's still a good coach. I think it was just a, uh, you know, kind of a perfect storm of events that transpired this past year. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one, it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's not like one thing that led to the issue. Right. right. It's, it's not one a lot thing. of things. It's a lot of little things that add up. Yeah. And so I think maybe like at this time, I kind of have a perspective, like kind of an entrepreneurial approach. Like there are guys you can take, like guys who are good at starting companies. And once they get to like the medium size, then they aren't necessarily the best people to be taking that. You know, you know what I mean? Like they're not mm-hmm. the best at taking it from like a medium to a large company. Um, and I think that this coaching staff is really geared towards taking it from a program that has a really awesome foundation where it's at right now, largely mm-hmm. thanks to the coaches that everyone's racking on right now. Um, and like you said, like Levitt, Cristobal, um, being known for being awesome recruiters. Um, and that's like every coach that came in, the number one thing that everybody said about him was awesome recruiter. 
Yeah. And I think that was the top priority because you had seen how how far behind the Ducks were falling in the recruiting game. You know, they were losing in-state recruits to their, um, you know, to their biggest rivals, to USC, to Washington. And as, I, I still think back to Willie Taggart's introductory press conference when he's like, you know, he's like, we got, you know, we got to keep these kids here. We got we to lock them up and chain them down. And makes me uncomfortable sometimes hearing that yeah. analogy. But. I, I was like, you know, word choice maybe, but I, I, I see the enthusiasm and I see what the point is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's a nice change of pace. Like I just, I remember when the first offers were rolling through when he started offering people and fans were excited that the Dutch were just doing anything on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. They didn't even care if people were committing or not. They're just like, oh my god, they're offering people. It was it's it's much everything is much more public now too. Yeah. With this coaching staff, like they're all tweeting way more. So Rob Mosley's just blown up the retweets, which is fine with me because yeah, it makes it so I don't have to actually follow anything. I can just get his Twitter feed. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the last like you know, I. I know that Mark Helfrich had a Twitter, but from reading it, I'm pretty sure it was a forced decision from the athletic department. And it's like, oh, an, another great effort from our men of Oregon today. Really proud of these guys. Ooh, real hot take, Mark. No, 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 no. So there is a Mark Helfrich Twitter account. It's uh, like, it's like, uh, like at Coach Helfrich. Mm-hmm. But the name is just a period, and it's got the Twitter verification, but everything is blacked out. It's got I like 40,000 follows, including like all the ESPN writers. And it's just been totally wiped out. Well, I don't think there was anything there. Well, that was his that was his Twitter handle when he was the coach. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. And now it's just 40.5 thousand followers, and... Literally nothing else. That's a good ratio. Um, yeah. So, and I think the coaching staff pretty much had, I don't know if I if I was able to do a recap after National Signing Day um, with the guy who was filling in, but like, I don't think that this recruiting class could have gone any better given the circumstances. Right. To finish with like a top 25 class, is ridiculous, especially yeah. when you consider that the season Oregon just had, and that this group had like a month, and that was with Taggart hiring people. And so, yeah. like the most exciting hires to me are A. Levitt, B. Who's getting paid, um, B. Cristobal, and C. The defensive line coach whose name I'm terrified to pronounce, um, from Washington State who was an amazing recruiter. Like I was reading about him like for a few years related to Washington state and they were just loving him. Um, and that's going to pay out huge because it actually turns out that there is one more recruit out there, which is Clemson's graduate transfer, uh, Scott Pagano. Yes. Now I know we said that we were done with grad transfers, but Maybe we should do this one. He's not he's not a quarterback. Um, so he's visiting Notre Dame in three weeks, March twenty fourth. Uh, he got offered from like thirty plus schools, 
he was a stud this last year, but Clemson's D-line was, like, the best in the country again. Um, or one of the most, like, NFL-ready. So he didn't get... He wasn't starting, but he was, like, the fourth guy in the rotation. Um, March 24th, he goes to Notre Dame. March 31st, he goes to Oklahoma. April 7th, he goes to Arkansas. Texas, he goes to on April 14th. And he visits Oregon on April 21st. Dabo Swinney, when asked uh, what he was saying, he said, he wants to be closer to home, probably on the West Coast. All right, then. And Oregon's the only team on the West Coast in that. He's also from Honolulu, Hawaii. Interesting. And so it's kind of like, well, if you're going closer to home, like, you're, and you live in Hawaii, I feel like you're going home. Like, <laughs> what, like, I'm, like I don't know because I don't live in Hawaii, but it's, I feel like if you're getting on a plane to cross an ocean, like, there's, there's not a real, like, getting closer to home. Yeah, there's, uh, there's being the equivalent of the opposite side of the country. And then there's Hawaii and then there's just a big ocean in between. Yeah. Yeah. But our defensive line coach, I'm not sure of his ethnicity. He's Pony. He's from the Pacific. Um, and his thing at Washington state was pulling people from the Pacific. Mm-hmm. We're from Hawaii. Oregon has a lot of people from Hawaii on the team. Uh, and there's a pretty healthy, like, Hawaii, Hawaiian kind of culture on campus, too. Yeah. Um, just from being around there, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, a lot of students from Hawaii or, like, whose families are from Hawaii, and they're very proud to be from that state. So... If he's looking for like a culture fit, like I think he's he's really gonna like Oregon. You know, like he can choose whatever school he wants. Like I really don't care. Um, mm-hmm. That's not true. I do care. I want him to come to Oregon, but you know, having kind of been through the situation where like transferring to find another school myself, it's like it kind of sucks. Um, uh, but I think this is gonna be like huge if he would join the team. Yeah, I'd like, be I a big land. I can't think of another group of players on this team that needs help than the defensive line. Yeah. Because I would have rather have an awesome set of defensive linemen and below-average linebackers than great linebackers and below-average line. Yeah, you got to get pressure on the quarterback. And we've seen the type of success that Oregon's defense can have when they're able to do that. So, right. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one, and I think he'll be his coach will be a great addition to the squad. I'm I'm excited. I'm ready for the spring game, April 29th. Um, they're going to go back to a three four, which I love. They're going to run up tempo, no huddle, run heavy, which I also love. Oh, here's a good question that a friend posed me. We started off saying we we're going to hit basketball. I swear to God, we're getting there. Um, what are, do you think the odds are that Justin Justin Herbert's the starter next year? Um, I would say the odds are probably 90% likely. 
Are you, you said like throughout the whole season or just to just to start the year? Beginning of the year. Beginning of the year, game one. Mm-hmm. I think beginning of the year, game one. I'm saying ninety nine percent likely Justin Herbert, and the one percent is if he gets hurt and can't play. I think ninety five. Yeah, just because Tiger's a guy I can clearly tell likes to meet his way. And I don't know. I just get the, I just get the idea that if he finds a quarterback he likes, he has zero problems swapping out. Um, oh yeah, and sorry, somebody I, else. Which is why there's the five percent. But I mean, if anybody comes in and starts over Herbert, like they earned it. Yeah, I, I think there will be a legitimate quarterback competition through camp because you know. He's, you know, Taggart's probably going to go up to Herbert and be like, all right, you were the quarterback of this team last year. Um, this is my team now. You need to earn your spot back, and it's going to be a fair game for anyone. I think because of all the experience he gained last year, it'll have a leg up. But, you know, who knows? Someone could someone could really turn some heads out of camp and, and snag the job. But yeah, I'm going 99% Herbert. Okay, I'm yeah. confident. Yeah. All right. We can talk more about football when we get closer to the spring game. Um, because this basketball team is killing it. It's like, really? this, is, this is one of the best college basketball teams Oregon has ever faced. Like, Do you think this team is better than last year's team? Oh, that's a tough question. I'm going to say no, but just barely. Why? I think that last year, I mean, last year, you know, I'm I'm looking back. I, I think, you know, I'm thinking back to when they had Dwayne Benjamin and Elgin Cook. And I think... They had just a little bit more, just a little bit more talent on that team with those two guys. Just a little bit, not by much. Um, you know, those, those two guys were such a vital part of of that team's success, um, and I think it was a little bit more of a, a well-rounded team. Um, but this team is like neck and neck with last year's team. Um, the guy that I've been most pleasantly surprised with this year has been Peyton Pritchard. Oh yeah. Um, I remember talking to one of my friends, and you know we were watching the first game of the year, and Pritchard was getting a lot of minutes because they were playing some unknown, possibly junior college. I don't know, but. He's like, oh, you'll, you know, this is the most you'll ever see Pritchard for the rest of the year. He's just going to ride the bench for the rest of the season. And he's been killing it. He's, like, his numbers aren't, like, blow you away good. He's only, like, he's averaging eight points a game. Um, 
he's shooting just over 40% from the field shoots like 73% from the line. Like he has just a bunch of just like decent numbers, but he always just has a knack for just like making these big plays. And, and the thing is, he's only a freshman. He's scrappy. So, he's so scrappy. He's a I gym rat. So, Coach's kid. Real I'm hustler. so excited to see what senior Peyton Pritchard looks like. Yeah. it's uh, That'll be... That'll be fun. I, I, I'll say I, yeah, I, I, and I think the only reason I, I like last year's team better is I had, you know, they, because there were still a couple, there were still some players left over from when I was in school playing there. Um, so it was still kind of like nostalgic watching them. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, from a talent aspect, it's such a toss-up. But, you know, if you had these two teams, like if you had this year's Oregon and last year's Oregon play each other, last year's Oregon wins 51 out of 100 times. I think it's that close. Mm-hmm. My, my contention is that this team has the ability to be – better than last year's team but they haven't really shown the ability to like bring it every game yeah or like i think and that i think that's too that's why i put last year's team ahead of this year's team slightly you know when we're talking in terms of the ncaa tournament I think this this year's team is more likely to go to the Final Four than one year ago today, if we were talking about last year's team. Um, just because they have a whole bunch, you know, they have the playmakers, like Dylan Brooks is playing out of his mind like usual. Um, we were just talking about how scrappy Pritchard was. But, yeah, there, there's been more games where I'm just not convinced that they can make like like if they play like this you know in the NCAA tournament someone's going to trip them up and they're not going to get to the elite eight they might not get to the sweet 16 it'll be and, and really and I think it'll be interesting to see with this team because I, I honestly believe that with the players they have anything less than a final four appearance is going to be considered a failure I think elite eight would be it would be okay yeah i would be happy with elite eight but i also i got i hesitate to see to say i see the window closing because i think i think the team's just going to reload from here on out but with the players that they have now i think this this is going to be one of their best windows that they have for a while yeah. So I think it's going to be, like, I would be content with Elite Eight and then losing, but I think it would just be disappointing. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd just be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Um, yeah, it's... I think the second half of the game against Cal really showed that this team can hit like a championship level. Like this mm-hmm. team is capable of winning the championship. Like in during spurts of the game against UCLA, 
that was also true. But like in those same games, it gave us every reason to believe that this team just can't put it all together for a national championship run. Yeah. So, because I mean, I was looking at, you know, what the performance was or like what some of the uh, big points of emphasis. Sorry, I don't know why my phone is being so loud. Um, I'm doing this from a computer. I'm having huge issues with Skype right now. Everybody who's made it to the 24 and a half minute mark. Um, So when Oregon lost to Colorado, Dylan Brooks only had like six field goal attempts, um, only nine points. Um, In the second half against UCLA, when Oregon gave up some of those huge runs, um, UCLA pressured the hell out of Brooks and put one of their best defenders on him. Um, And at that point, you know, like we've seen it a few times now where the offense just gets stagnant, it looks boring, it looks lazy and lacks focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all kind of because, you know, Brooks isn't really, he's really stifled in a way, like kind of stymied by the pressure. Um, and so, you know, like we've said it, like we've seen it a bunch of times where like when Dylan Brooks plays well, we got like four or five guys who all play really balanced. But Brooks is really, at this point, he's clearly the X factor in terms of if the if Brooks is not playing well, the offense will not do well. Yeah, exactly. But it all starts with him. Yeah, so. but if he's playing well and he's able to like initiate, get some action, he makes every it opens up everything else um, for the rest of his teammates. Um, and you know, I definitely think once we hit the Pac-12 tournament um, and we start seeing some of those better teams come in um, like Arizona or UCLA uh, whatever I'm positive their game plan is going just to be to pressure Brooks like the entire game because mm-hmm. I mean that's, that's, that's the blueprint to win basically that's the easiest way to get yourself, give yourself a chance Exactly. And so it's it's all through Dylan Brooks. If he if he doesn't have a bad game from here on out, then this team could go far. But if he's off on one night, then it could all come tumbling down. Right. And so like against the uh the most recent Cal game, Oregon was down thirty to sixteen at the half. Um and then had a fifty two point second half. Like that first half was one of the ugliest things I've seen, like on offense, it was like the second half against UCLA. It was just like, oh my god, please do something else. Like, yeah, with, with I, this ball. like do literally do anything else, and I will be happy with this. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's gonna it's kind of like Oklahoma last year, um, or like if you see teams like Oklahoma this year, and like the uh, March Madness. You know, you go down 30 to 16 at the half, it is very unlikely that you're coming back. Yeah. It is very unlikely. Because uh, playing some of those higher teams or, like, higher-ranked teams, are, it's very different from playing 18 and 9 Cal. Um, 
you know. So, and Oregon also has the potential to blow, like, 18-point leads um, in the span of, like, 10 minutes. So, mm-hmm. it's going to be a wild ride, guys. It's going to be yep. no lead for either team is really safe. So, and I think a lot of it, I don't know if that's the case, but this team reminds me of other teams that I've coached that are just really, really good, but they also know they're really, really good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just don't put it together for an entire game. They kind of rest or lean on their talent in a sense. Um, and, you know, eventually, like, it is a really hard switch to flip. Like, if very few people are able to go from, like, not trying to trying and, and there being, like, a huge performance shift. Um, it is very rare to find, like, even a team as a whole that can just be like, okay, we're trying really hard this game, and we're we're not we're going to see a huge boost in performance. Like we were doing it this way the entire time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just this is one of those classic teams has all the potential in the world, um, but it's kind of going to be bitten by their own kind of implosion in a way. Yeah. So, I mean, but I think too, I don't know. I have to think that Dan Alban has a plan now. If someone's going to pressure Brooks, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they, that's the good. I think that's the the good part about getting you know those losses that they suffered is that okay they've you know they've learned kind of their weaknesses, hopefully corrected them, um, and it's you know something that they can adjust here on out. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. This Pac-12 champ, this Pac-12 championship, it's going to be wild. Because I think whoever wins is going to have to play uh, UCLA, Oregon, or Arizona. So Arizona will probably have to play Oregon or UCLA. UCLA is probably going to have to play Oregon or Arizona. Something of that. So I yeah. think winning the Pac-12 is that might get someone a number one seed. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because, um, you know, if we're going off of standings right now, you give Oregon the one seed, Arizona the two seed, UCLA the three seed, and I believe, yeah, Cal the four seed. And those are the first round buys. And... So you give, and then, you know, you're looking at, let's call it, you know, let's call it Cal, Utah in the second round versus two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're looking at either Colorado or Stanford against Oregon in the quarterfinals, uh, which would be a tough first matchup for them. Um, they almost lost to Stanford. They've lost to Colorado. So that's tough out of the gates. And then, you know, if you're looking at, let's call it an Oregon-Cal semifinal, that's another... They, they've got a brutal road to the finals. And then they're probably going to have to play UCLA or Arizona. Um, yeah, I, I honestly will be 
surprised if the Ducks win the Pac-12 tournament. That's just like, that's, I would, um, I would just, I would almost rather them have the two seed and get out of like pending that's, you know, the rest of the standings stay the way they are. I would almost have them like want them to go to the other side of the bracket just to avoid those potential matchups. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that would also mean losing your final game of the year to the five and 25 Oregon state beavers who are one in 16 in the conference. Yeah. That's just, uh, that's no way you want to go through life. <laughs> yeah, that, <coughs> they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> There's no getting around it. They are bad. Like, that is just, they're bad. Uh, yeah, and there's really nothing. They're bad. Um, so, some of the most recent ESPN bracketology... Uh, projections have Oregon getting a two seed in the West. Yeah, um, that's been pretty much every projection I've seen. I have not seen any projections where they are a one seed. I don't. I don't think unless you know, unless they win the tournament outright and a couple dominoes fall. I don't think they're getting a one seed, but. The two seed in the West, I think, is a pretty good spot to be because you're most likely going to have, unless they trip again, you're most likely going to have Gonzaga as the one seed in that region. Mm-hmm. And I like this. Granted, this is probably a very naive comment because I haven't watched more than a few minutes of Gonzaga basketball this year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why they were ranked number one in the country. They don't play anyone. Gonzaga ain't played nobody, pal. They're the Boise State of college basketball. Like, their most challenging game is against, like, St. Mary's. Wow. Shots fired. So, I will will take a two-seed in the West any day of the week if you give us Gonzaga as the one-seed in that bracket. I think Oregon beats Gonzaga easily. Um, Here here are their wins. Here, Here are their best wins. Over ranked teams. Um, well, they beat Florida by five. They beat number 21, Iowa State, by two. They beat number 16, Arizona. Where is that here? I just saw that score. By seven. They beat Tennessee by 10. Um, and then they beat. Wait, what school is this? Oh, St. Mary's, number 21, um, twice. Uh, one by 23 points. And then the next time by 10 points. Yeah, it is uh, not the most impressive resume. Yeah. It is not. So, oh, they beat Washington by 27. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and act like I watch a lot of college basketball, but, I mean, in some aspects, these teams, they're doing what they should be doing against some of these teams. 
like dropping LMU for like 38 points, um, beating Santa Clara by like 31 points. So, I mean, just lost to BYU though, uh, which kind of broke the the perfect streak before they go into conference play. I think. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not gonna act, lie and act like I know Gonzaga's schedule, but uh, yeah. Oregon in the West with Gonzaga as the number one seed. Uh, I feel really good about that. Like I would feel yep. really good about that. I would rather play them than Kansas or North Carolina or let me see who, who are the other projected number ones. Villanova. Mm-hmm. I'd rather play Gonzaga than Louisville or Kentucky or Arizona or Baylor. Um. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Or UCLA. I'd rather play a lot of teams other than Gonzaga. So yep. yeah, maybe that's just me being naive, but that's just how I feel about things. And if there's anything we've learned from 2016, is that feelings matter. Um. All right. So, uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that we talked about at the outset? I think that's a that's a pretty good return to get get us going again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm psyched. So hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to find some uh, some more routine. Be able to figure out some more times to uh, do this podcast over the next few weeks because March Madness is coming up. Um, oh shit! The NFL Combine is this week. Mm-hmm. This is where we find out that every single strength and conditioning coach at a university was lying to us about how fast someone's 40 was. Did you see that uh, Ross, the, C- the wide receiver out of Washington, the strength and conditioning coach, claims he runs a 4.2540? Yeah, and I, and I weigh 250 pounds and can tackle a grown football player. Yeah, this is the same guy that said Jake Locker ran like a four three and then he goes to the combine and runs like a four six alternative facts man alternative facts let me check i want to check verify his 40 time 4.59 seconds which puts him at the same level as uh blaine gabbert and christian ponder um, all right then yeah <laughs> close, close to the four three. Although it's like it's like Florida's uh, a forty yard dash record board. It's like they're all like Olympic sprinters. Like they're all like there is no one above a four point three on the board. Yeah, that record is safe. Yeah, it's like a four point one five is like the fastest one. It's like I don't know what you guys are like what you guys are doing. It's like you're not fooling anybody when these guys go to the combine. No. So, um, should be good. Yeah, I'm pumped. Oh, 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 I almost forgot. Oh, so these guys that are at like the national, it's like the National Bobblehead um, Association. Let me pull this, let me pull this information real fast so I don't, so I don't mess this up. So, this was, this was baller. Um, they sent me a bobblehead of, uh, of uh, our mascot, Puddles, or the duck. 
with like the national championship trophy. Um, it is, let me pull this up. It's from the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. So, shout out to them. I'm going to put a link to the, you know, oh man, they put like a YouTube video in this email also. So I'll just put the press release inside of this article. It's dope. I, they sent me a bobblehead, so you should go buy one. It looks cool, you know. Everyone loves bobbleheads. Bobbleheads are awesome. Just do it. You know, it's weird because I never got like that hyped about bobbleheads as like a kid. But now whenever I see somebody at work or like one of my friends who works pretty closely in sports, he has like 30 bobbleheads on his desk. I'm like, God, I want all your bobbleheads. I will just take them from you. Yeah, exactly. So, man. All right. Well, now I got one. Uh, All right. So that'll do it for us. Um, Thanks to all you guys for listening, catching up. I know it's been a while since Sean and I united for a podcast. Um, but we'll try to make this a more regular thing again now that we're kind of out of our own busy seasons. Uh, so, uh, we'll catch you guys hopefully next week. I'm really hoping next week. We're really shooting for it. Um, so that's Sean. I'm Rusty. Talk to you guys later.